0: What is acupuncture? How does it work? What should I expect? And am I even crazy for considering this in the first place? If you're skeptical, unsure, or simply curious about acupuncture, then you're in the right place. I'm your co host, Michael Max.
1: And I'm your other guide, Stacey Whitcomb. We're here to help you get a taste and flavor of what you can expect from acupuncture and other related therapies and methods that arise from East Asian
0: medicine. Most of us here in the West to not grow up with acupuncture. It's hard to understand something if you have not had experience with it. Having an inquisitive and skeptical mind, it's a good thing when you're seeking out healthcare. We're
1: both acupuncturists. We like good ideas and something new. Common questions about acupuncture in everyday simple language. You'll hear from both Michael and myself, but also from other acupuncturists who have enough experience and perspective that they can in three minutes share something essential of this medicine so you can consider if you might like to use this natural method yourself.
0: We know that you're busy, so we're looking to bring you a wide variety of perspectives. Make the point in three minutes.
1: We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system. But Not all mushroom products are equal. Real mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that real mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order.
0: Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hey, welcome back to Everyday Acupuncture, or if it's your first time here at Everyday Acupuncture, welcome to you as well. I just want to say, real quickly, for those of you that are practitioners of the art, I've got a new podcast show called Cheological. It's over at cheological.com, and it is a show very much like Everyday Acupuncture Podcast, except we go deep and geeky into the medicine. So if you happen to be a practitioner, you might want to go check that out as well. Today, for the first time on Everyday Acupuncture Podcast, I have Josephine Spilker with me. Josephine was on Chiological episode number two, an amazing conversation on the Divergent Channels. Today, here on Everyday Acupuncture, though, we're going to have a discussion about cancer. Cancer, you know, that word just strikes fear into pretty much everybody. We've got our usual Western ways of looking at it, and there's all kinds of Chinese medicine ways of looking at it, and Josephine who is a longtime practitioner of Chinese medicine, 20 plus years. She's an acupuncturist, she's an herbalist, she does some really interesting things with essential oils as well. She's spent a lot of her career working with people who have cancer. She's got some ideas from that embedded experience of, of working deeply with people. Today is a conversation on taking another look at cancer, what it might mean, how it might arise, how we might work with this. Josephine, welcome to Everyday Acupuncture.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, it's always fun to talk with you. Yeah. We were talking some time ago. I can't remember if it was when you were visiting here in St. Louis or just a a phone conversation that we sometimes just sit down and have, but we got on the subject of cancer. And you had some really interesting things to say about it. I I think I had mentioned something about my frustration with how we often use the military metaphor to go at cancer. Uh, Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you said something about, I can't remember the exact words. It's more like working on some kind of homecoming or it's more like Uh, not excommunicate. What was it that you said to me? I wish I could remember exactly.
2: Well, I might have said, one of uh, a couple of sort of my favorite places to start this conversation and one of the things i like to say is where there is war there will be casualties so i think we have to recognize that the process of cancer which happens at the very essence level in our bodies at our very deepest level cannot uh be free of casualties if we make it that conversation into a war. So I suggest the idea that instead of making it a war, we make it a conversation about how we can reclaim the essence from the process that cancer is, cuz cancer is a process. It's it's not an enemy, it's not a thing outside of ourselves. It's actually a process that happens at the level of our essence,
0: right? It's us cancer cells. That's right. And, and I know this is hard for a lot of people perhaps to listen to yeah. because it's so easy to make cancer the other.
2: Right. Right. But the problem with making something, anything really into the other is that to maintain that is, is a constant exertion. So, you can't maintain that kind of separation from your world unless you work very hard at it. And that working very hard actually compromises uh, the resources that we might have that would heal us if we did not engage in that sort of pathological demonizing of our experience. So, you know, the other thing that I like to share with people comes from writing by Dina Metzger and Dina Metzger is the woman on the um cancer posters that maybe some people will remember um, I think even the 80s is when she first was in those posters because she had a breast removed and she's a, she's a writer she's now also a healer but she was willing to to pose for these these um posters Uh, basically suggesting that we can not only survive but thrive um, after the encounter with a cancer diagnosis and I do like to use that way of talking about it I like to say cancer diagnosis I like to say people who have a cancer diagnosis rather than people who have cancer because by doing that again I'm sort of making a very subtle shift so that people's minds don't um begin to grasp onto the idea that a person with cancer is different than a person because a person who has a cancer diagnosis is still a
0: person. (laughs) You know, absolutely. You know, and there's this other thing, and I've noticed this in my practice. People will often inhabit their diagnosis. It's like I've got this diagnosis and it becomes this really strong core part of their identity. This is who I am. Mm. There's that piece. And then there's the flip side, which is something's going on. We don't really know what it is, but oh, my God, I just want to know. And I will grasp at anything to have a sense of knowing.
2: Well, I think it's important to to honor the knowing part. So what I often say, and actually recently, uh, at least two people have asked me, you know, what is the problem you're trying to solve with the way that you're doing your work these days, which is a very interesting question.
0: It's a great question.
2: Yeah. So what I have said is the problem I'm trying to solve is how do you make decisions about your health and your body that come from your own knowing? 100%. They don't come from somebody else's desire for you. They don't come from your medical doctor. They don't come from your mother. They come from within you at your core level. What is it you know would be right for you? And my assertion is that when you make decisions from that place, that those decisions will be powerful and healing for you, regardless of the outcome. So I think this is the other, you know, very tricky piece that we have, especially in the Western approach to people who have cancer diagnosis, the idea that the only good result is that you live through the experience. And this is just not true there is recently a book out by elizabeth lesser who was one of the people who founded the omega institute it's called marrow a love story and it is about her relationship with her sister who's no longer alive she died of um i think the original diagnosis might have been lymphoma and elizabeth lesser provided a bone marrow transplant for her and despite the fact that she didn't live for much longer after that bone marrow transplant, she declared that the last year of her life was the best year of her life because she and her sister basically got together and talked about what really mattered to them. They actually did the work together on this essence level. Mm. And it's, it's a beautiful story. And it just, to my mind, dramatizes this basic idea that cancer is the invitation, or I should say a cancer diagnosis or the cancer process, is the invitation to begin to relate on this very deep level. It is a process at the level of the DNA. So what we're talking about is your destiny, what you are here to do, what's meaningful to you, how will you unfold that which you have been given in this lifetime. And if you considered it a gift and not... A, a tragedy, how would you relate with it differently?
0: That is a question that certainly makes me pause.
2: Yeah. Well, it should. and It should make any of us pause. But you see, for me, my, my real wish, my real yearning is to connect people with this place in themselves. It is something that we've lost in our culture because we have become so externally oriented and so externally valued and we've sort of forgotten this inner peace. And we, we you know we don't we don't value the sitting still and the deep slow movement at this level because we can't be bothered to stay there long enough. You know, we become sort of uh socialized and acculturated to a very speedy quick way of being in the world and really we're losing um we're losing ground in my opinion it's it's one of the things that we are suffering from the loss of yin and the appreciation for yin and you know how we say in chinese medicine yin and yang are always an embrace
0: Absolutely. And they each are supportive of the other, which I think is something we often forget, especially in our modern sort of screen captured world. Mm-hmm. Faster, is, faster is better. More is gooder. Faster is better. <laughs> and we forget that our ability to be really active and, and competent in our activity is reliant on deep stillness. I mean, if somebody has a big important meeting or some kind of big important event, what do you wanna do the night before? Really good night of rest. Yeah. And yet, we go about our days, and, and many of us, we go about our lives, thinking, I can do more. It's like sunset follows, sun. I'm, I'm sorry, sunrise follows sunrise follows sunrise. And it's, mm-hmm. we forget about that other piece. Right. Yeah.
2: So. I would suggest that the proliferation of this condition, this diagnosis in our world, is the strong call to reclaim and restore this essence connection, to take our time with our bodies and ourselves again, and to make space for that. And I really believe that If we do that, we can vanquish this kind of malignancy. Because a malignancy really just means this is a growth of something outside our awareness. And awareness, you know, in Chinese medicine, awareness is uh, light, fire. And when you bring attention, another way of talking about it is bringing attention to those things that have been in the dark. They can no longer grow uh, in a way you don't want because now they are exposed. So when we bring our attention to this part of ourselves, then we intentionally and consciously grow what we choose in this life, which is amazing when that happens. Because yeah. people, everyone has something amazing to give, but they. Have to make the relationship with themselves before that's possible.
0: So, how is this different than you know a very common idea of think positive thoughts, do positive ah. things? Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, there's that whole right. thing about um, regard. I mean, and there's lots of opinions about the law of attraction. If you you know, if you just put out the right thing, you're going to get the thing you want. But <laughs> yeah. it sounds like you're talking about something different. And, and how do we actually begin to have a conversation with that which we've either cut off mm. or that which we, we really don't even know how to begin to have a conversation with? Because if we did know how to have a conversation with it, we'd mm. already be in conversation.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, uh, yes, totally. So what I would suggest is that Chinese medicine thinking is very instrumental here. We have spirit. And we have substance, we have the movement of yang, and we have the, the, the essence, the jing, it's, it has weight, it has substance. If we only do the thinking part, and not the feeling part, we can't get anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the positive thinking, though, on some level that might be helpful to repattern ways that we relate in the world, it will do nothing at the essence level because it doesn't have the power of yin it's a it's a yang phenomenon we think all the time you know we we proliferate thoughts and ideas like you know nobody's business most of us and so those things there's nothing bad about that but it isn't equal to making the two have a relationship right so so when we you know, think at, at, at in terms of Chinese medicine, we think, well, what creates dis-ease is the lack of right relationship, and I have to credit Sharon Weizenbaum, who's the person who first introduced that term to me, right relationship, Zheng Qi, but mm. more than that, mm-hmm. more than that, it's the the relationship that allows heart and kidney to communicate, that allows us to know what our destiny is and allows us to keep our heart open. And I would suggest to you that a lot of positive thinking is not heart open, but actually heart closed. It's actually a story we're telling ourselves, and that is the pericardium, not the heart.
0: Uh-huh. And so, it's the story that we want to be telling ourselves.
2: Well, right, but that doesn't have the weight of who we actually are. So the weight of who we actually are comes through reckoning at a very deep level. And I'd suggest it's in the major articulations of the joints, in the pelvis, in the shoulders, where the marrow resides, in the jaw, in the brain, in the head, in the teeth, where the the majority of our jing, our marrow, resides. And we know this because what happens when we are afraid? We grit our teeth. What are we doing trying to protect our body our flesh so i'm suggesting that we have to make this relationship with our body and how it expresses itself which is through feeling and sensation not through thought thought is an expression of the spirit now thought can take form in the postnatal life through blood and therefore become story that's true but story is not the same thing as the sensation of actually being in your body, in your in your pelvis, in your mouth, in your teeth, and letting the, that experience, that sensation, actually speak to you, honoring that. And the work that I've been doing this year is actually creating circumstances where people can do this because I don't think they can do it in their regular life because it takes time and it takes safety and it takes somebody else doing the busy work to keep the environment good for that. So I I have been having people come and spend time with me in my home where I where it's quiet. I live by a stream out in the country where there's no external lights or sounds other than natural sounds and um there's turkeys and deer and things like that bears too sometimes, but um And I cook for them foods that nourish the essence and allow them to both receive treatments and to process at this level. And I think it's true that this can be done without my guidance, for example. People do this uh, in the form of vision quests, in the form of, you know, taking, hiking the Appalachian Trail and, you know, these kinds of things where they reckon with their own being because there's no distraction from it
0: yeah they sort of take a walk walkabout
2: mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah but we don't often do that not everybody can do that and acupuncture is and, and herbs both really hasten or accelerate our ability to do that they they actually provoke the relationship to happen so there are needle techniques for example you can use acupuncture uh, which again isn't common, but can be done to to, um, as one of my colleagues likes to say, ripple the Jing or allow the Jing to kind of get your vibe. And when that happens, wow, things really begin to change because now the conversation is open.
0: I I like your word provoke. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's something very inviting and juicy. Um, a little bit mischievous and Mm. um, there's, yeah, there's a different feel to it than, Oh, we're going to coax or we're going to ask there's, there's an element of uh, there's a young element of more than an invitation, but more like, like an elbow in the ribs, right? A loving elbow in the ribs.
2: Well, let's just say if you go to the mountain and you want the mountain to show you the secrets of life. How long do you have to remain there on the ground until something falls on your head, right? And those are lots of old stories about how people attain realization or come to come to the place of knowing. And many of them include sudden, abrupt
0: experiences. Well, yes, and things falling completely apart. Right things falling enough apart that they can recoalesce with a different mm. kind of coherence
2: mhm absolutely and so that's so that the opening is there so that the potential is there and um, for some people that's just taking that time off and believe me i've encountered so many people who who say to me i'd love to go on retreat with you i know it would be great but i can't take that time off And most of the time I'm talking about five days. We are not talking about, you know, a month, Mm -hmm. which I've done myself um, in my own experience. And that's something that I resonate very strongly with taking the winter off, for example, taking this winter, I'm going to take probably
0: two months off.
2: We'll see how it goes.
0: Mm -hmm. And when, when you take time off, what is it that you're attending to? Mm.
2: Again, I'm attending to a process inside me that does not move at what Jose Arguelles used to call 2060 timing frequency, or what did he call it? 3060, 2060, 20, 2060, I think. Um, he's the man who wrote about the Mayan calendar, which of course covers uh, a fascinating discussion of time and how time, the way we measure time, doesn't have anything to do with how we are as bodies and human beings that our bodies don't don't go by clocks (laughs) they go by sunlight and changes in the weather and temperature and pressure and all different kinds of things but they don't they don't follow the clock so when i especially december and january which is winter in our neck of the woods that's when i like to be at that level And most of the time I'm doing a lot of reading and sitting still, meditating and writing and cooking. That's the main things I do um, when I'm in that phase.
0: Yeah, so it sounds to me like you have a tremendous amount of experience and, well, appreciation and experience for sort of cultivating this kind of inner terrain. Well, not just inner terrain. External and inner terrain, relationship between them, Mm. but very much an eye toward terrain. Yes. And you're using that as well in the way that you work with people and offer them things like a a five-day or maybe a five-week retreat where they can slow things down enough that they can start to hear and listen and connect with the various parts that usually we're, we're so busy, we just relegate it to um, that day, probably the same day that we get our email box to zero.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, but the amazing thing is that when you receive a cancer diagnosis, the call comes through loud and clear. This Things have to change. And for most people, the only way to go is to slow down because they have already at top speed. They're already at, at maximum most people have rarely met somebody who's received a cancer diagnosis who wasn't at top speed when that happened and again that's the gift the gift the gift is you get to have yourself back but it's not the self that you imagine it's the self you've never known in some ways and Again, to me, that's just like this incredible gift that uh, the world needs. They need you. You know, they need you in your fullness, in your in your completeness, and um, the chance to embrace that and to to move with it instead of against it
0: is um, always there. you know i'm I'm struck as we're having this conversation. That what you're saying is, at least what I'm hearing, Hmm. to take this kind of an invitation for the part of us that we don't yet know, it's already kind of a death sentence.
2: (laughs) Well, you're not getting out of this life alive. Well,
0: I mean, there's that. but But what I mean by death sentence is the things that we've done that have worked up until this moment, the things, the way we think the world works, the way we think we are. Yeah. The way we think life unfolds, all of a sudden we go we get to find out wrong, dead wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and and what got us to this moment will not get us to the next.
2: That's correct.
0: Which yep. in some ways is a truism, you know, you see it on little memes on the internet and you go, "Oh yeah, that's cute." It's anything but cute. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> yes. Right.
0: You know, exactly. our friend our friend Jane Lewis likes to say, "It's hard to tell the difference between Things falling together and things falling apart. And what I'm hearing you talk about is things just fell completely apart.
2: Yeah. Well, absolutely. When they're falling apart, they could be falling together. You just don't know yet.
0: Well, exactly. And it's, it's hard to tell the difference between the two. So you've been talking in some ways about attending to terrain. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious to hear about the guidance side. How do we find guidance in these kind of moments?
2: Yeah. Well, my the main practice that I use to support people in that endeavor is meditation practice. And I use meditation practice because I use it myself, but also because I don't know of anything else where the express purpose is to come to full presence, body, mind, and spirit in this moment, fully awake. And What's available, if you do that, is beyond comprehension. You know, we say in Chinese medicine and in Taoist thinking that everything arises from mystery, from not knowing. Everything arises from not knowing. And in in order to be in not knowing and actually long enough there to find knowing... You have to have a, it's like you need a, a sort of a, what would I call it, a scaffolding or a, a framework, a, a way to be so that you can find that open space. Because most of us are just, we're just afraid, we're confused, we don't know how to do it. And the amazing thing to me is that but you can actually sit down and just give yourself that time to be with your breath and to be with whatever arises in your mind and body. And uh, that practice alone is magical, transformative. And for many people, it requires uh, environmental support, which is the other piece of what I've been sort of striving for much of my professional life. you know, how do we create an environment where that process is more accessible because it's it's not accessible in most places. And when I first came to Asheville, I came to run the college clinic at Dallas Traditions College. And in the first year I was there, I instituted uh, meditation practice at the beginning and the end of every shift, just for five minutes. And one of the other... Um, supervisors one of the colleagues my colleagues there she said to me oh my god you know even this 10 minutes that you've now instituted is huge for me it's just huge just just to stop for five minutes before i start this intense work where i have to see four patients an hour and i've got four students with me and you know it's crazy and so even the smallest amount can make a huge difference in somebody's experience. So I don't know if that answers your question yeah, or
0: not. Well, meditation's a piece I've noticed in my own practice, both my own meditative practice and my clinical practice. Um, so often we get, and I totally include myself in this, get wound up in what I think is going on or should be going on that I completely miss what's actually going on, and having some time set aside really as a practice just to notice what's present, not to try to change any of it you know and meditation is often sold these days as a solution to a problem I mean we're just talking about cancer diagnosis, and one of the things we're talking about is meditation i I really want to I want to be very clear about this with our listeners. I'm not suggesting that meditation is the solution. No. I'm suggesting it might be, well, actually often is, a piece of finding what could be the solution and cultivating some stillness, cultivating a space where we slow down enough to, first of all, notice what's present and then see Mm -hmm. what else might be there.
2: But I I think I would go even further in terms of our main topic, in terms of a cancer diagnosis, where... At that point, it is really critical that we go deeper than, um, I guess, I I think in the framework offered to me by my Taoist teacher, Jeffrey Ewan, I think in this framework a lot, which is Wei Qi, you know, the way we relate with the world, Ying Qi, how we relate with our ourselves in our postnatal life, and then yin chi how we relate with our destiny with our purpose and um what we are doing here and so i think a lot of the time that we don't get past that that yin chi level with our investigations And as I've been saying all along in this conversation, to get to that UN level where we make a relationship with the part of ourselves that we may or may not know well and that may or may not change at the rate of our familiar postnatal world. And so we're talking about not only meditating, but reckoning and actually meeting and being with that level of experience, which just cannot happen in an hour. It's true that we can access that level in an instant if we have the lines of communication open. But to stay there and to find out more about what's there requires a much larger time commitment, you could say.
0: Yes. I was talking with a friend this morning, actually, um, over coffee, about meditation, mm. and how useful it can be, especially when we get into sort of an emotional tight spot. But it's not useful in an emotionally tight spot if we haven't had mm. a good amount, ideally, of daily practice, because you can't get into an emotional tight spot, now I'm going to focus on my breath. That's like going to some sort of a big athletic game with doing absolutely no training ahead of time. <laughs> right. Right? That's right. Yeah. So, that's right, so in that's some ways right. it's a it's a prepara- it's it's not the solution, but it's mm. the preparation for a moment right
2: right and and I guess i wanna again bring it back to this sort of topic and say that I think it's a mistake to represent to people that Chinese medicine has the answer or the cure for a cancer diagnosis. Because in my estimation, we can only treat people, not diseases as they are defined in Western thinking. So I work with people. And what happens is that that diagnosis no longer becomes uh, relevant and goes away. So the the diagnosis is there to invite people to change the way they're relating and once they do that they don't need that diagnosis anymore so i am suggesting that it doesn't look like um the allopathic uh removal of all the things that might in someone's mind represent that process because for each person what represents that process is different. and you know we know this because we work with people and the symptoms are just endlessly varied. you know what one person some people get diagnosed with cancer and they've never had a feeling in their life that they had anything wrong and um, and other people get diagnosed because they have a myriad of symptoms.
0: You use the word. Reckoning, mm. which is a great word.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I like
0: that word. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of one of those like archaic words in a way, right? You don't hear it. Right. You don't hear it very often. Yeah. And when I think of reckoning, I mean, there's the you know, like you've done something bad, and there's the day of reckoning. You know, you're you're, you're going to get your <laughs> just due. There's there's that way of looking at it. Yeah. But another way of thinking about reckoning, it's kind of like navigating, right? Mm. You know, to, mm-hmm. to, to reckon your way across a territory or an ocean or uh-huh. something. And and so often in our life, we're working off of a map of what we think life is. I mean, so often we actually very rarely engage life. We're actually engaging our maps of what we think life is. Mm-hmm. And maps are really useful. I'm not against maps. Maps are, maps are really handy. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue becomes what happens when you get to the edge of your map. Mhm. Right. Right. You get to this new territory that you that you don't know anything about. Right. Uh you know, in the old days they always drew dragons there, right?
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. For good reason. You know, most You're of us right. are going to hit a ton of fear, but just a big old wall of fear yeah. at that edge. Mm-hmm. But where there's no map, there's mm-hmm. still the ability to reckon. Right? That's I mean, right. in the old days, right, they'd have a star Right. They'd have a compass. Maybe you know they knew something about the currents of an ocean or the way yes. that it, that the air smelled in a certain season. I mean, there's many ways of reckoning across a territory that you don't know.
2: Yes, and and I would suggest that even if you're in the middle of the ocean, the key, uh, the key aspect of reckoning is that you've employed an aligned body, mind, and spirit to gather information so you're not just gathering from one level you're actually gathering from all levels Mm -hmm. and uh, i guess that 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 i think is uh, the key that when you when you reckon you actually are bringing to bear both body spirit so flesh you know substance and spirit and you're doing that via the sort of postnatal movements that are always going on. So, you know, your spirit, like we say in Chinese medicine, there's big shen and there's little shen. So, you know, big shen is kind of like your vision, your ability to tap into this amazing larger world. And your, your jing is like what keeps you from sort of flying off endlessly into space and then there's this whole sort of unfolding of how life expresses itself in a given moment through your body and mind and uh, that's completely unique nobody else can be you and it is uh, completely unknown So in Chinese medicine, you know, we always think in terms of energetics and strategy. We don't think in terms of set. Oh, how do I want to say that? That that even though we have patterns, the truth is that a new symptom could occur and reflect a known pattern only because we know the strategies and the principles and the energetics. So we're constantly creating new formations, but they still follow the relationship between yin and yang, between hot and cold, light and dark. They still follow those. So even though you're in unknown territory, there are things that you know, you know, and you do, You do, well, I think you, you develop, as you said, you, you you have to be willing to develop or and I think that's the key world there is cultivate and the willingness to cultivate that relationship with yourself leads to this sort of unfolding that, you know, will naturally bring you to the edge of your known world. Because that's the nature of growth and evolution.
0: Yeah, it always happens from the edges, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. That's where it is. It all, it, yeah, it's always on the edges. So, uh, for some of our listeners, that might not be as well versed in Chinese medicine as, as uh, mm. some other listeners. You know, we've been using some some words like Jing and Shen and mm. things like that. But I want someone to get back to reckoning for a moment, because mm. it's to me it's such a juicy word, and mm. and so often in my clinical practice I see people at, at the edges of something. Mm-hmm. Right, they've gone off the edge of their map. And now it's like, how do I navigate? How do I reckon? I often think of the word navigate, but I like the word reckon, because it, mm-hmm. it includes, it includes something else. I'm not even sure what it is. And maybe it'll get clearer in this conversation. For someone who might be listening, and and they just might know, oh, my God, I am at the edge of my map. And I don't know where to go. And I don't know where to turn. And I don't know how to navigate off the edge of my map besides meditation. What might be some other tools you'd want to carry on a journey where you need to use your reckoning?
2: Hmm. I mean besides getting acupuncture?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, it does sound a little like a plug for acupuncture, but uh, no, no, actually <laughs> no, acupuncture, it, it's amazing how it will often drop people into something. I know so often, like in a first treatment, people will come out of it and it's like they got a glimpse of something. Yes. And then they come to their second treatment and they go, Eh yeah, not much happened. Well, what happened was in that first treatment, you got a glimpse seven mountain yeah. seven mountains and valleys over. Right. Now you gotta work your way to it. Yes. I, I think acupuncture can very much drop people into something. But beyond that, or or how would you mm. want to use acupuncture to help in you know enhance that? Yeah, talk to us.
2: No. <laughs> well i do think acupuncture is a unique modality for opening this possibility for people for sure and i could say a lot about that but i won't because that's mostly relevant to people who are using acupuncture but the other ways that we sort of connect on the essence level i think um Gosh, I think that it happens when we slow down and when we sometimes when we shake up our bodies. So in a funny way, when we do really intense exercise or really intense high impact like bikram yoga. Ashtanga yoga, which compresses the joints and releases the muscles around those joints, so it's like a pumping action. Mm. Or when we go to a music concert that's very loud and vibrates through our bodies, especially high bass—not high, but loud bass—bass bass vibration. That it, or even if we did something like um, running pounding with our feet cuz the soles of our feet lead right up to our kidneys we shake up the pelvis and the the energy and the jing in the pelvis and so in a funny way that often leads to slowing down right like after we do those intense experiences we we slow down and in those moments when we're tired actually and when our bodies have been shook up, there is an aspect of experience there that that potentially could lead to this depth of relationship. Now, also, you know, people could do qigong and tai chi, and even further, they could do negong. They can do the inner circulation of energy um, practices, and... I think sometimes that they can also achieve the same thing by being on the earth, by by laying on the ground and being outside and being in the, receiving the sunlight and the air and also having the earth touching their bodies, skin on skin, as they say. Mm. So, you know, there is a whole, there's a whole lot of literature about the fact that we no longer have skin contact with the electromagnetic field of the earth and that you know yang qi is uh the sunlight is absorbed by the earth that's pretty easy to understand and when we walk on it with bare feet so i'm suggesting bare feet is another good way to absorb the invitation to resonate and reckon at this level. And many people will tell you that when they go into nature, when they go into the forest, they get, they get this feeling, right? They get this feeling like it's magical, it's transformative, it's peaceful, it's relaxing, right? They get this
0: feeling. Or sometimes absolutely terrifying. And sometimes terrifying. I can think of times, especially as a teenager, sometimes going camping, and man is as You know, in in, in a big woods, as it would get dark. Spooky as hell. Well, yes. And the fact is, and sometimes
2: this is the other metaphor, which I didn't get around to saying at the beginning, but um, I have also the idea that this kind of work is like deep sea diving. It's like going to the bottom of the ocean. It is dark down there. And there are creatures you have never seen. And and it's also like what is the other one it's called spelunking going into caves oh yeah and um there's a great i can't remember the name of the book right now but there's a great book about spelunking and there's a quote that i have from him about that this this practice of going into caves and following these caves into the darkness is a, a spiritual path and of course you know our legends especially our western legends have many of our higher knowing beings, like Merlin, I'm thinking of Merlin, the magician, who lived in a cave, right? Mm. So um, (laughs) I don't think that's an idle image. I think it's a very powerful one, that he chose to live in the earth, in the bowels of the earth, in fact. And it is scary. It It is terrifying to go into the dark, and at the same time, it's, it's um, confronting reckoning with that fear is the, the alchemy that yields strength and knowing, right? That from that experience, you gain a kind of confidence and strength in your own knowing that you could not get any other way.
0: Unless you become swallowed by the dark.
2: (laughs) Say more about that.
0: Well, it just, I mean, it just occurs to me, uh, I mean, I I get the metaphor and and I, uh, you know, and certainly I think we've all had journeys in the dark
1: Mm. that
0: that are transformative. I think that's just part of life, right? We go through different stages and some are very dark. Ideally, we go through that dark, we come through, we're actually something else. But w- what happens if you're lost in the dark? I mean, especially people with a cancer diagnosis. Mm, right? mm. Very easy to be lost in the dark.
2: Yes. Yes. Well, I, I think that's why we have each other. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why we have each other. Uh-huh. Because when you're lost in the dark, the light comes from reaching out to someone and um, connecting and sometimes that's just with a friend who's willing to be with you in your fear and sometimes that's a medical professional who's willing to be with you in your fear and sometimes it's a stranger who's willing to be with you in your fear and I I I I think that's part of the reckoning the reckoning is knowing when you need to reach out and find the connection that will restore your ability to reckon we are actually not alone in this process and you see this takes us right back to the original metaphor that we were talking about you see The Western medical model isolates cancer, isolates the malignancy. Now, when you isolate, and this goes back to the Dina Metzger quote that I didn't get to, where she says, in her book is called Entering the Ghost River, Meditations on the Theory and Practice of Healing. And Mm. she basically says a cancer cell is like an outcast. From the community they've been isolated if we are going to heal them we must bring them back into relationship so if we isolate we if we cut off and isolate the process we cannot recover we will be swallowed by the dark that's correct but if we reach out or if we connect however it happens then the possibility For, again, right relationship for for light and attention and love, which is also a form of light, can restore someone's ability to reckon with themselves and their life. And this, of course, is what restores power to their choices. So that even if they choose uh, a very aggressive therapy that I would call chemo and radiation very aggressive therapies which at some point might be necessary but when they choose them from the place of knowing having reckoned with their own knowing and their own bodies then those methods become of service, in service to their greater purpose instead of a something that's done to them instead of something that they submit to which does not bring power or
0: knowing I'm struck well first I'm so appreciative for this conversation I always enjoy the conversations we have you know and, and for you <laughs> listeners that are that are sitting in on this um, I'm lucky I get to talk with Josephine on occasion like this <laughs> this is this is something us Chinese medicine <laughs> practitioners do behind the scenes when we're not yeah. slinging needles and such we're <laughs> we're chewing on these things, right? This is this is yeah. what our experience as practitioners uh, leads us to. We go down some interesting paths of reckoning yes. um, in service yes. of our patients and in service of ourselves being able to help our patients. Yes. Um. And now I just forgot the other thing that I was going to say, which was, oh, yes, this is so different. What, what, what you're saying here in that long pause we had just a few moments ago or I had a few moments ago. I'm struck again. You were talking of how these things happen slowly. Hmm. They happen in the quiet, and it's so different from our internet-enhanced world. There's a list. Oh, the six things you need to know about blah blah blah. The seven right? things you must do. The how you know it's always a bullet list, right? It's mm-hmm. it's it's a fancy marketing shtick. Mm -hmm. Um, to catch your attention, to say, you can fix this and you can do it. Well, usually if you buy my product, (laughs) it's what it comes down to, right? Right. Um, But again, in in, in this world where we need to reckon through something, to reconnect with something, Mm. there are no bullet lists. No. We actually have to leave that behind, that kind of certainty. We have to leave behind. Absolutely yes
2: but i think we everyone has that knowing that at the core is that kind of uncertainty everyone it's human it's just it's a part of everyone and uh, i think that's the other piece i just want to keep encouraging people that this is not a pathology the fact that you don't know what to do next or how to do it is not a pathology It's actually good news. It means you're a human being whose heart might be open to the next step in evolution. Positive. And reaching out in whatever form makes sense for you. Whether that means you go to the nearest center where you can meditate or you call the acupuncturist or you go to church or you go to the grocery store it doesn't really matter. And, uh, yeah, I just want to encourage people. It's not a pathology to be an uncertain human being. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, it's, it's sort of the nature of this life. When we really look at it it's, it, it's quite the nature of this life.
2: Right. Exactly. And we're not trying to take away the true nature of things. We're actually, we're not going to conquer death. This is something I say a lot. You know, It comes from my Buddhist training, but it's a fact. Birth, old age, sickness, and death are not going to stop. We aren't going to win that war. It's not a war. Right. And it's not a war.
0: It's not a war.
2: Right. It's just how it is. So we can stop trying. But so many of us, without even knowing it, are attempting to vanquish death. Or vanquish illness, and all along I used to call my practice awakening through illness, <laughs> which a lot of people told
0: me was was
2: not all that, you know, not all that inviting. <laughs> Who wants oh, to do that?
0: <laughs> I want to sign up for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh but, my goodness! You know,
2: but that's what we got. That's what we've got. We yeah. have birth, old age, sickness, and death, so we might as well, you know.
0: Might as well get on with the process of living.
2: Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. Well, our time is about up here, my friend. Any closing thoughts on this subject?
2: Well, I just want to, again, encourage people. I think um, the resources are out there for you to contemplate and and connect with your own gifts and and you know, just encourage people. It's it, it is possible. I know it seems impossible sometimes, but it's it's truly possible. I think it's truly possible.
0: Yeah. And I suspect often we'll be quite surprised with what we connect with and what we find.
2: Yeah, exactly. Which of course is wonderful.
0: Yeah, that's the good news.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. Well, that's it for today, folks. Thanks uh, for listening. Hope you found this to be uh, a thoughtful uh, conversation that might be of service. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week.